Welcome to the CME CE podcast, Let's Talk MRSA, 20 Frequently Asked Questions. Please review the complete CME CE information at www.mrsa20faqs.com. This podcast is designed to clarify frequently asked questions in serious MRSA infections that pose a threat to patient safety and add to the healthcare burden. Episodes released weekly are structured into four learning modules. Learners can apply for credit after reviewing each learning module. This is the third learning module, Clinical Tactics for MRSA Infections. There are seven episodes in this learning module. This is the second episode. In this episode, Dr. Thomas Filer, Jr. from Northeastern Ohio University's College of Medicine in Rootstown, Ohio, shares his clinical experience. Thank you, Dr. File, for joining us once again. Now, in a previous discussion, we talked about understanding some of the differences between skin infections caused by community-associated MRSA strains and healthcare-acquired MRSA strains. In this episode, we want to focus on how to optimally manage community-associated MRSA skin infections. So my first question to you, Dr. File, is which therapeutic options are generally effective against CA MRSA skin infections? Well, for mild pyodermas, I mean, these would be the typical infections that are seen in an outpatient setting, such as furunculosis. Uh, there's increasing consensus that only incision and drainage is adequate for these, these lesions, these pustular infections that are not associated with extensive cellulitis or systemic manifestations such as fever. And these are the typical cases that are seen in the outpatient setting. Now, it remains a bit controversial whether antibiotics provide significant additional benefit for these simple abscesses. And, and there's two large-scale prospective studies that are currently underway, which will hopefully provide more definitive answers to that question. Now, antibiotic therapy is recommended for more extensive abscesses, and particularly those associated with extensive cellulitis, or if there's evidence of systemic illness, or if there's significant uh, comorbidities uh, associated with the patient, or if they're located in areas that are difficult to drain, maybe such as the face or the genitalia. And in these cases, for outpatient antibiotics, empiric therapy with trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole or a tetracycline drug such as doxycycline or minocycline, or clindamycin, uh, as long as there's not a high level or inducible resistance here to, to that agent, these agents are usually very adequate. Now, for concern for beta-hemolytic strep, uh, most significantly group A strep or strep pyogenes, uh, we consider adding amoxicillin to trim sulfa or doxycycline because these two agents may not be as good for group A strep. Or one could use uh, clindamycin uh, as monotherapy or even consider a drug such as linazolid, but that's very expensive. Now, for hospitalized patients, uh, there's almost always a need for some type of surgical debridement or drainage along with antibiotics. But for, uh, for antibiotic use, I still feel that uh, IV vancomycin is uh, still the workhorse for these infections. Uh, other agents would uh, include linazolid, daptomycin, telebancin, or possibly clindamycin again, as long as there's not any inducible resistance present. Okay. So um, you mentioned a little bit about um, the importance of incision and drainage for these types of infections. Can you expand a little bit on, on what is the role for incision and drainage for these types of infections? 
Well, incision and drainage is the primary therapy for any pustular lesion or abscess uh, caused by any pathogen, actually. Uh, and it's certainly indicated uh, if there is extensive abscess because it's critical to drain these. Uh, and I might add that sometimes it's, it's uh, somewhat uh, deceiving when you look at a patient who has erythema and tenderness uh, of a soft tissue area, particularly where there may, may be extensive soft tissue, such as the abdominal wall, uh, the gluteal areas, or even the upper arm. I've been often, uh, I guess, surprised that uh, in these patients I cannot detect any fluctuance, but if you do a test such as an ultrasound, you might be able to find fluid collections that are relatively deep uh, that will require incision or, incision or at least uh, needle drainage. So incision and drainage is important in the appropriate management of these infections. Okay. Um, for many of these patients, whether they're seen in the primary care office or the emergency department, it's, it's likely that they will be treated on an outpatient basis with oral antimicrobials. How should a patient be monitored for follow-up, and what are some of the warning signs for complications? Well, most patients will respond relatively well, certainly if there's appropriate incision or drainage and with uh, antimicrobial therapy if there's extensive uh, infection. And they'll usually respond uh, well within about five uh, to seven days. But, but there's always the concern with the, particularly the community-associated MRSA strain uh, that there may be a complication such as a, a necrotizing infection. So patients need, need to be warned and particularly monitored closely if, if they're uh, serious enough ill to come into hospital for evidence of rapid spread of infection or other manifestations of, of, of such complications such as the development of cutaneous necrosis or, or multiple bullae or pain disproportionate to the physical findings, or even if they develop a toxic shock syndrome, obviously that would be a significant complication. And one helpful test that I found is that if you're concerned about a, a deep tissue infection or a spreading infection, uh, and I often request the ER docs to do this when they call me uh, uh, about a patient who's in the emergency room who has one of these infections, is to do a CPK test. Uh, uh, creatinine phosphokinase, uh, because this looks at inflammation of the muscle, obviously, but if there's an infection such as necrotizing fasciitis, there's often adjacent spread of inflammation to the muscle, even if the muscle specifically is not infected, and this can be a clue to a significant infection. Uh, in, in certain cases such as this, it's extremely important to get surgical evaluation expeditiously uh, because this is very important in the appropriate management of these patients. Okay. Um, so you, you touched on this a little bit, but are there criteria that clinicians can use for determining if a patient can be treated as an outpatient versus requiring hospitalization? Well, I'm aware of a number of classification schemes that have attempted to put forth criteria for admission to the hospital, uh, but most of these are based on relatively soft data. But when I look at the IDSA skin and soft tissue guideline, uh, they recommend uh, at least for um, skin and soft tissue infections, admission for patients with signs and symptoms of systemic toxicity, uh, and this includes obviously a fever, tachycardia, or hypotension. But other reasons might include, I think, the extent of the infection, extremes of age, uh, presence of significant comorbidities, maybe such as diabetes, or, or the use of immunocompromising therapies such as steroids, or what we're seeing more commonly now, these anti-TNF agents. Well, thank you again, Dr. File, for sharing your insights on this important topic. And please join us again for additional discussions on how to address the MRSA crisis. Thank you.